Brainwaves. Hear the world differently. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio Wednesdays at 5pm for Brainwaves, Melbourne's drive time radio show. Giving voice to people with mental illness. One in five have a mental illness, but five in five can enjoy this great program featuring heartwarming stories, great information and some laughs as well. Find us at 3CR. 855 on your AM dial. Sponsored by Mental Illness Fellowship of Victoria. Violence can destroy families. I decided one day that I could not stand having my children witnessing more of the physical, verbal and emotional abuse. While I was facing issues of family violence, I heard about a service available to assist people in my situation called InTouch. I called InTouch and spoke with someone in my language. InTouch gave me the support I needed. Thanks to the people at InTouch, I've been able to rebuild a better life for my family. If you need advice, contact InTouch for a free and confidential discussion in your language by calling 1800 755 988 or search InTouch Multicultural Centre online. In Touch. Brought to you by Victorian Women Lawyers and funded by Victoria Law Foundation. Welcome to another episode of Brainwaves. You're listening to 8.55am or streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Today's show is for Schizophrenia Awareness Week, which has recently been renamed Well Ways to Mental Health Week. This week provides an opportunity to raise community awareness of schizophrenia and mental illness in general. My name is Kiara and on the show today is Terry and Lauren interviewing one of our very own Brainwaves members, James, on his lived experience of mental illness. Hi, James. Hi. So do you want to just tell us a little bit about your experience with schizophrenia? Yeah, sure. Well, um, I was first diagnosed with uh, schizophrenia when I was about um, 22, and I'm, I'm 28 now, so I've lived with it for about six years. And that was the first time at 22 that I had this, this formal diagnosis of um, schizophrenia. However, prior to that, um, I'd had lots of little breaks along the way to suggest that, um, that there was more trouble to come. Yeah, so when did you first notice something different within yourself? Well, actually, the first time I noticed uh, something different within myself was when I was 11. And um, there, was a lot of, there was a lot of turmoil when I was 11. I, I, I had another mental illness. So I was suffering from an eating, eating disorder. And um, there was some stress in, my, in the family life and, um, and things... And I think, you know, I was becoming unhappy in general. And uh, I think as a response to all this stress, especially, you know, the eating disorder, which dominated my life and which created all this drama. And, you know, I I began to uh, get some psychotic symptoms at at 11. So I remember, um, you know, there was this episode, there was this episode that of flying food and I, I was hallucinating about flying food and and, uh, you know, and, and the food was obviously going to make me fat because I had the eating disorder. And, um, yeah, and, uh, and, then, and then at that stage, I was actually put on some p- very powerful medication to, to control, um, to control the, the, mental, the mental illness symptoms. And I was only on it f- for a brief period of time. And then they, they took me off that medication so I could, you know, maybe b- better engage with school and, and stuff like that. Yeah. So what were some of the symptoms you were experiencing, if you want to talk about that? Um, well, initially, initially there was that, I, I don't remember, uh, around that 11, 
just yeah. in general. In general. Um, well, around, um, around the 11-year ele- age mark, there was just that brief one about flying food and, you know, and sort of these hallucinations that went along with it. Visual, I, I get visual hallucinations. I see colours and um, sometimes, which is an unusual one, they said when I was in hospital, but, but that's what I get. And um, later on, um, I'd have, um, I'd, later on, you know, in the clinical picture, I'd have a lot of paranoia. Um, that seemed to dominate because ultimately one of the diagnoses I've had uh, is paranoid schizophrenia or uh, schizoaffective disorder. So I've had those two diagnoses. And, um, you know, but certainly the paranoia got really got to me later on with um, thinking about, you know, people following me and putting bugs in my phone and listening into all my conversations and little almost like conspiracies against me and, and then, and then, sort of believing someone, believing an individual to be harming me, to to have harmed me, to have manipulated me, to like someone significant in my life has has really done the wrong thing by me. Yeah, and and that was that was very dominant in the clinical picture. Yeah. So, do you want to talk a little bit more about some of your misdiagnoses? Um. Well, I've had. Because I think, you know, I think with psychiatry and um, psychology, um, I think it, it, it is a bit of a blend of science and art. And, um, you know, they don't have, they can't do a blood test, obviously, to say that you've got schizophrenia or you've got depression or you, you, do, you have drug-induced psychosis but not schizophrenia or you have schizophrenia but not drug-induced psychosis. So I've received, I think, in total, maybe 10 different diagnoses over, over my time from a child um, in in the in the psychiatric system, and I, I, I and as one psychologist put it to me, I can't have them all, um, mm. but certain ones I, I take certain ones I pay attention to. So, you know, I'm not so sure. I've I think I think um, I'm not so sure. Depression has been part of. I mean, I think not clinical depression, but more so demoralization was part of my story. Just feeling demoralized by my illness and my lot in life and 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 uh, having little hope for the future in, in the past yeah um so um i want to go back to you talking about you feeling more hopeful now but i, I just thought i'd ask about a little bit of background is there any family history of um other members of your family having mental illness um not that I know of, but sometimes people don't talk about... I mean, back in the day, people didn't talk about these sorts of things. So, I mean, certainly, um, you know, on my grandfather's side, uh, alcohol alcohol problems um, were, were part of, um, you know, my grandfather on my dad's side was a World War II veteran and he had a problem with alcohol and he eventually recovered from that, um, which is sort of related, I feel, to, to mental health and... Um, but not schizophrenia. I've I haven't heard of anyone having schizophrenia, um, and I I think I think it does run in the family. I, I'm sure, but it wasn't talked about because it was in the old school, you know, form of thinking. It was sort of the family shame. And ah, oh, so you actually think there might have been people who who had some difficulties on the schizophrenia spectrum? Well, not necessarily. I don't think so much on the schizophrenia spectrum, but with, with, other, with other problems. Ah, right. You know, other, you know, other, you know, just, 
you know, yeah, other mental health problems. Yes. Yeah. And maybe if you've got a World War Two veteran who's drinking too much, that could impact on the environment in which your the next generation grew up. Well, that's exact. That's exactly what I've learned. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So you talked about having sort of this first major realization at the age of 22 do you want to talk about some of the things that happened before then sort of after leaving high school yeah well um i finished high school and um i went to a school which where achievement was very very much drilled into you um and um i rebelled i was i was against you know i was i just did my own thing and uh i was i was demotivated um i was you know unhappy um I had issues with drug and drugs and alcohol before, and um, and you know I had few friends, and I just drifted. I just drifted off, and um, for a f- after high school, um, for a few years, I I worked casually. I worked occasionally. I did odd jobs. I did a variety of jobs for for cash and lived at lived at home, and um, you know most of that was misspent, and um, and then. Um, at times I tried to, I tried to pull myself together, so to speak, without, you know, by my own accord. And, um, I, I managed to pull myself together for six months and I was studying at one point at 21. Um, but that didn't work out, um, because of, um, some of the drug and alcohol issues that I've had in the past. And, um, and, um, yeah, I was pretty lost for a long time and it's been very difficult for me to, um, engage in employment and uh, study and um, initially it was because I mean my life my lifestyle was chaotic and and now my lifestyle isn't chaotic but it still remains a little bit difficult for me to engage in study and employment not not necessarily impossible but it's just that um, it's just that you know if I if I get stressed I can have problems with symptoms and um and uh, yeah, I can have difficulty concentrating. I have issues with my. I, I still have a whole range of things that can get in the way of that. So when we were talking before, you mentioned about um, being hospitalised. Um, did that sort of become a catalyst for you wanting to, you know, improve on your way of life? Yeah, ultimately it did, and not initial, not initially, because I I had four, there were four times. There were four times in my history that I was I was committed. I, I was you know committed to a, a public hospital against my will, and um, yeah, initially I, I didn't like that. <laughs> um, I, I didn't find it very pleasant, and uh, you know it you know obviously it was necessary at the time, but um, you know it wasn't pleasant, and um, yeah. So initially, um, you know, I found it unpleasant and. And uh, I think in the end, but then I, you know, sort of continued on with a lack of hope. And and um, and then in the end, the final time I was hospitalised was so unpleasant that um, I think part of me, you know, decided that I that I didn't want to ever go through it again. And that's what I've decided um, at this time. Yeah. Hmm. Thanks, guys. Um, It is 12 past five and you're listening to Brainwaves. We'll be right back after this quick break. To any of our listeners who are over 65, no longer working, still living at home and have a diagnosis of depression, please grab a pen and paper now. 
A PhD student at Victoria University wants older people with depression to share their experiences. The focus is on self-management, strategies you use to look after yourself. You do a survey and a one-to-one -one interview. There are a few eligibility criteria, but if you're interested, please contact Meg Polachek on 0448 056 591. That's 0448 056 591. She also has a website at megsresearch.com. That's all lowercase and all one word, megsresearch.com. A 3CR supporter. number, please. You're listening to Brainwaves on 8.55am. That was Dream a Little Dream of Me. We are speaking with James about his lived experience in light of Schizophrenia Awareness Week. Take it away, guys. Hi, James. Um, welcome back here. Um, could you tell us a bit about the um, responses that you've experienced from people in relation to you being mentally ill? Yeah, sure. Um, I think I think you get a variety of responses. Some of them are negative, and some of them positive, and some of them a bit mixed. Um, so, I think uh, in in being in hospital and being very unwell, I think I think people can. Um, well, I think they're empathetic. They, people can be very empathetic. They understand you've got an illness. It's a it's it's a severe mental illness, but they can sometimes perhaps talk down to you a little bit. Um, so that can be a response, and um, so you, meaning you felt patronised by a little, them. Yeah, I, I guess it, it, you could you could think of it that way. You and could. could you give me? Are you able to think of an example of that? Um, not specifically. I can't think of a specific example, unfortunately. Yep. Um, and which sort of people, or were it particular individuals, or just by chance, or just. Yeah, just just maybe perhaps some some nurses or some hospital staff that could you know um, that yeah they they perhaps talk down to you a, l a little bit because of because of your disability or yeah mm. of of your illness. But um, you know, some of my friends had um, at the time I had I had a group of friends um, which um, they had some uh, they had some quite negative responses to it. So. Um, they seem to, some of them seem to have some negative stereotypes about what it meant to be a person with mental illness, a person with psychosis or their comprehension of it. And, um, you know, they gave me a hard time for uh, being out of work and uh, you maybe not going back to work or, you know, or being on, on disability support pension. And uh, they couldn't understand that. They, um, you know, that I think they... I think in a sense, I think some people blamed me for my problems. Mm. And uh, that wasn't the response so much with the family. The, fa the, the immediate family had, a, had an empathetic response and, um, and they were very helpful. And, uh, and uh, yeah, so uh, I found um, my family to be, to be quite helpful. And initially, you know, initially, especially my mother, she was you know, quite shocked and upset and, um, as you would be and, and perhaps a bit angry, not necessarily at me, but just angry at this, this what's happened. And, um, but ultimately, um, they haven't, uh, put too much pressure on me and, that, and they've helped mm. me a lot. Mm. Yeah. Um, you were talking earlier about, uh, maybe you had an eating disorder at 11 and that maybe you got into some substance abuse. That's right. Yeah. 
can you tell us about how you got into that substance abuse and the impact it's had on you, you think? Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I've certainly had an extensive history, unfortunately, of, um, you know, dual diagnosis and um, substance misuse and uh, beginning at about 16. And, uh, you know, I won't go into a, a whole drug log about, about what I've done, but, um, you know, certainly it was a significant part of, of my life and, uh, and it, was, it, it filled a void initially, a void that was left from being displaced from community at school and from the wider community and having a, lot, a lack of hope. It filled that void, but then it created uh, a whole a whole range of, of chaos and drama in my life and ultimately impacted the course of the psychotic illness. Now, it's my understanding that they're two separate issues, but they but I think certainly it that my understanding of it is that the substance use influences the course of the psychotic illness. In yeah. in an unhelpful in a, way. In a very negative way, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So did you leave school around that age or are you talking about you were isolated? Oh, what what I meant, well, I think because I was so different to my peers at 11, initially I was sort of a normal kid, but then I became unwell and a lot of my peers um, didn't know how to handle it. So I became very isolated. I, I was very non-responsive too. I, I, I wasn't particularly social and it, it led me to be very, quite unhappy in those school years. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so what sort of things aided your recovery process then? You've talked to us, I know, in the past about um, getting into exercise and yep. doing positive things to help um, help yourself now. So do you want to talk yeah. a little bit about that? Well, a, a variety of things have helped me in my recovery. Um, exercise has been a huge a huge part of it and I've I've always you know I've I've always had an interest in exercise and um you know certainly I've I've always uh I've always gone to the gym and lifted weights and I used to I actually used to compete in powerlifting um at one point in my early 20s and um so I don't do that anymore but um you know I um I still you know I still go to the gym and I work out and I and I feel that 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 that's a huge thing because a lot of people um you know, on medication with severe mental illness, they, they are a lot, some of them are unable to do that because of medication side effects, or they gain a lot of weight. And, um, you know, they can feel very poorly about themselves. So uh, I found it important to at least I I may not be as uh, I may not be as sort of fit, so to speak, as I once was, but I'm still all right. So um yeah, that's that's been good. Yeah. Yeah. So just having things to look forward to as well. Yeah, um, that's right. Having an activity to do that gets you up and gets you up in the day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I got the impression earlier that there was a turning point for you. Yeah. Can you tell us more about that turning point and the things that have come out of your moving towards being looking after yourself? More? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the turning point was um, actually. I mean, it's funny the the. I mean, this is the problem with dual diagnosis is that the services are traditionally geared towards mental health or drug and alcohol, and they're not combined. And and, and now they are combining the services, and um, they're actually starting to address this problem a lot more specifically. But for a long time, I think my drug and alcohol issues were um, maybe not as addressed. I don't think it's anyone's fault, but I think they weren't as addressed as, as directly as they could have been. 
And then the problem got so bad that they had to be addressed. And, and I, that was addressed formally in residential rehabilitation. And, um, and uh, that, that was the turning point for me. That, that was when I actually became the best version of myself that I, that I could. Yeah. And what does that mean, addressed formally when you're in residential? So what's that mean? They said no more drugs. And well, not, well, ultimately the decision was mine. I could continue on with my lifestyle that I was leading and accept the consequences of my actions or I could actually accept the help that they offered. They gave me the tools and, you know, I, I can't go into everything that they did, but they gave me the tools that I could improve improve myself and and uh and then ultimately i had to address my mental health issues as well and i had to you know Mm. take my medication and um that that's something that i obviously require it seems and um you know without it i'm at a loss and um yeah it it just enabled me to actually address the issues in my life fantastic fantastic yeah so you just became an instrumental person in your own recovery you sort of um put yourself out there and became that for yourself, I think that's how it sounds to me, at least. I guess so, yeah. 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 So what are the – sorry to butt in, guys. So what are the sorts of things that, that you're doing now in your life, James? Because it seems as though that you were in a really kind of dark place once upon a time, but that things – you know, you made a decision and you thought, no, stuff it, I'm actually going to make some positive changes in my life, and you've actually executed those. So what are the sorts of things now that, that you're actually doing? You spoke to us a little bit before about study. That's right. So I – I'm doing a few things at the moment apart from my extracurricular activities. I, I obviously, I, I volunteer at Brainwaves and um, that's been really positive to get a sense of community. And uh, I'm, I'm planning on studying uh, a diploma of counselling in, uh, in a couple of weeks. And, um, and I feel that that might be something that I can do because I can sort of do it online in my own time. And um, yeah, and, and, and some sometimes some courses are too stressful. So I'm hoping that this can be something that I can I can do and I'm doing it part time. So, you know, I've hoped that I'll be able to do this diploma and yeah, and um and uh that's that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah, um, I feel like this is a question that we ask all of our, our guests and seeing as you're an official guest, James. Um, two things. If there's any of our listeners out there who currently have a loved one who may be experiencing symptoms um, of psychosis or schizophrenia what is something that you know you would you would say to them kind of knowing what you do now and kind of going through that experience what would you say to someone like your mum you know 10 years ago well i would one of the things i'd say is be be a little don't let the person off the hook but be be a little bit gentle because um you know i think I think uh, increasing the stress in your communication and, um, you know, if people get very stressed, it, it can exacerbate the psychotic illness. We seem to be very sensitive creatures. Um, and, um, you know, I think, um, you know, I think uh, follow, um, you know, look towards the, the the people that are helping you and, and have hope that they can they can improve your son's or your daughter's situation. And I guess I guess it is that I guess it's important to have that hope for the carer as much as it is to ha- to have uh, hope as a person with uh, with a, a very severe mental illness. Yeah. And have you had to shop around to find therapeutic assistance that works for you? You know, or is the first person that you came across was able to help you? Or how did that not, happen? Not not 
not really. I think I think it was a lot of it was a lot of it was me. Uh, I mean, I mean, uh, and finding the right person, but also just being ready to to um, accept the help and to implement actually start implementing some changes in my life. It did take some time to to find someone, but um, I think uh, I think a lot of it was on me. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Mm. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much um, for that, uh, Terry and Lauren. And thank you so much, James, for sharing your experience with all of our um, listeners today. Uh, So you've been listening to Brainwaves on 8.55am for Schizophrenia Awareness Week. You can listen to episodes of our podcasts at brainwaves.org.au. Stay tuned for Renegade Economists. And this is Feeling Good by Nina Simone.